So the text for this afternoon's sermon is also the passage that we read, Daniel 5. And as I mentioned earlier, we'll spend particular time on the latter half of that chapter. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the book of Daniel is a book that has suffered an amazing amount of critique from liberal scholarship. After all the prophecies in it, they seem to be way too accurate, and it's full of these unique and these miraculous events. There are things like Daniel in the lion's den, the fiery furnace, and also our passage today, this miraculous writing on the wall. Some of these stories, they just seem to be too wild to be reality. And in addition, liberal scholarship has challenged some of the historical details of the book as well. In fact, the main subject of this passage, King Belshazzar, well, for many years he was assumed to be a myth. And that's because his name never appeared in any of the historical records of the Babylonian kings. It just wasn't there. And so skeptics said this is just, it's just another discrepancy in the book of Daniel. And yet, by God's providence, this discrepancy too has been resolved. In the past century, some clay tablets were dug up. They were discovered that describe in detail the reign of a man named Nabonidus. And Nabonidus, well, he was the last known king of the Babylonians before the fall of the empire. And in these writings, he describes in detail how he left the kingdom, his armies, his palaces, to the rule of his son, Belshazzar. And so these discoveries, they not only help to affirm the accuracy of the book of Daniel, but they also actually shed light on the book itself. For example, they help to explain why Daniel is offered the reward of being the third highest ruler in the kingdom, behind both King Nabonidus and his son Belshazzar. But the kingdom of Babylon, under the reign of Belshazzar, well, it's not in a very good situation. For God has caused the Medes and the Persians to come up and they've laid siege to the capital city of Babylon, just as God had prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 51. But rather than recognize the seriousness of this situation, Belshazzar, he shows the pride and the arrogance that's been typical of the rulers of Babylon. For he has absolute confidence in the city. And we should remember that the walls of Babylon, they were said to be 300 feet high, 25 feet wide. There was a moat that ran around the entire city. And then in addition to this, the river Euphrates ran directly through the city, under the wall. And so they were provided with a never-ending supply of fresh water. So rather than go out and confront the armies of the Medes and the Persians, Belshazzar, he is happily, he's living life inside the city. In fact, we're told that he's throwing a party. And it's a party of epic proportions. It's for over a thousand nobles or princes. The wine, it's flowing. There's food in abundance. And not only are the nobles and princes there, but we're told that also the wives, the concubines were at this party as well. 
And all of a sudden, in the middle of this drunken fiasco, God sends the king a message. It's a miraculous event. And King Belshazzar, he recognizes that this message is important. So he goes and he summons his astrologers, his interpreters, his wise men. But none of them are able to interpret the writing. And then finally the queen, or possibly the queen mother, arrives. And she tells Belshazzar that he should call Daniel. This man whom his forefather Nebuchadnezzar, who interpreted dreams for him, who interpreted visions. So Daniel is summoned And he comes before the king, but he doesn't want any reward. However, he will tell the king the message. And he tells the king that this great man who thought that he answered to no one, he would now answer to the one true God. The prophecy of Babylon and its destruction, spoken of so long ago, it was about to happen. For God knew what Babylon had done to his people what they had done to his city, Jerusalem, to the temple of God. And God had not forgotten his people. He would remain faithful to his promises. He would crush their enemies, and they would face his justice. And so I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under the following theme, God weighs Belshazzar in the scales of his justice. We'll see in the first place the case of Belshazzar, In the second place, the verdict rendered against Belshazzar. And finally, the punishment assigned to Belshazzar. Beginning then with the case of Belshazzar. So Daniel begins by delivering this stunning message to the king. He's not intimidated or afraid of this king, but he boldly brings him the word of God. Daniel tells the king that God has been watching And now God has a case. God has charges to bring against this king. And in the first place, God charges Belshazzar with ignorance. And God points to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's forefather, in order to highlight the ignorance of Belshazzar. For Nebuchadnezzar, just like Belshazzar, he was simply a tool in God's hand. And Daniel describes how God gave Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness, glory and splendor. Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, they were both simply tools in God's hands, tools to punish his unfaithful people Israel. And yet what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we're told he did not recognize God He refused to see God's hand. In fact, he took pride in in his accomplishments, in his success. So God humbled him. And we're told about that in Daniel chapter 4, about how God caused him to have a mind of an animal, to live among the wild donkeys, to to eat grass with the cattle. And we're told that Belshazzar knew this. He had grown up with the accounts of Nebuchadnezzar. He knew the stories, and yet he followed exactly in his footsteps. But Belshazzar, he's not simply ignorant. For God also charges him 
with pride. Daniel says that Belshazzar has not humbled himself, but he has raised himself up against the God of heaven. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, his forefather, Belshazzar likes to think of himself as if he is a god. He has no need for God. Instead, he's placed his faith in the kingdom of Babylon, the strength of his city, the size of his armies. Rather than recognize that it was God that gave him all these things, Belshazzar actually thinks that he himself is responsible for his own success. But to top it all off, God also charges Belshazzar with blasphemy. For as he's hosting this wild party, Belshazzar has the audacity to mock God. We're told that he orders his servants to go and to get the vessels, the goblets, the cups of gold and silver that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then Belshazzar takes these things that were dedicated for the worship of the Lord, and he defiles them. He drinks from them, and not only he himself, but he gives them to his nobles, his wives, his concubines. Belshazzar, this proud, ignorant, blasphemous man, he unashamedly mocks God, while at the same time, he gives praise to these false gods And we read about this in Daniel 5, verse 23. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, him you have not honored. Rather than give thanks to the God who created him, in whose hands was the very breath of life, who put him in the position he was in, Belshazzar defies God. He gives praise to carved objects, to things that are dead, things that are nothing. And Belshazzar, he's been provided with every opportunity to see God. He had every opportunity to know him, to see his hand in history. And yet Belshazzar refuses to recognize him. And Belshazzar should have known better. To be honest, brothers and sisters, we and all mankind, we are expected to know better too. For we confess that God has not just revealed himself in scripture, but he's revealed himself in creation. We see him all around us. We see his hand in the history of the Bible. We see it in the way that the wind blows. We see it in a thunderstorm. We see it in the way that he creates life and he sustains life. And yet so many, like Belshazzar, they refuse to see it. They cover their eyes, they plug their ears. We can think of a passage like Romans 1, Verse 20 to 23, a passage that could very well have been written about these events in Daniel. Reading from Romans, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and animals and birds and reptiles. Belshazzar's ignorance, his pride, his blasphemy, they had been seen by God. And we need to recognize that Belshazzar's sins here, they were simply representative of the pride and the arrogance of Babylon. And so as Belshazzar sits there, living it up with this great party, God sends him a message. In the middle of this drunken orgy, God sends a hand to scratch these words into the wall. Mene, Tekel, Parson. Can you just imagine the mood swing at this party? One minute, everybody's living it up. They're partying, they're drinking. And then out of nowhere, this hand appears and it begins to scratch this message on the wall. It's the kind of thing that we imagine in a horror movie. And we could tell from the king's reaction that he is very afraid. And he has good reason to be afraid. Because as Daniel begins to interpret the message, we see exactly what it is that God is saying to Belshazzar and Babylon. For each word that's inscribed on the wall, it has two meanings. And as each meaning is interpreted, it becomes clear that the pride, the ignorance, the ungodliness of Babylon, it has not gone unnoticed. Belshazzar and Babylon, they are about to be weighed in the scales of God's justice. And that's actually the first meaning of the word tekel, to be weighed. God is weighing the evidence against Belshazzar, and there's actually something ironic about this. For think of how Nebuchadnezzar is described in verse 19, whom he would, he killed, whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. Nebuchadnezzar thought that it was him, that he was the one who weighed people in the balance. And Belshazzar, he followed exactly in his footsteps. But now Belshazzar, this great king, who thought that it was him who judged others, well, we're told that now he will be judged by God himself. And for so many years, God had been trying to show the kings of Babylon that it was him who brought them to power. He raised them up. He brought them down. He decides who gets life. And he decides when to take life. For God rules heaven and earth. But because Belshazzar refuses to acknowledge God, because he refuses to learn the lesson of his ancestors, well, he will now be weighed in the scales of God's justice. And we should realize today that God does weigh the evidence against all mankind. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. 
We will all be held accountable for the lives that we live here on earth. We will not be able to plead ignorance. And that's a serious warning for us today. God is watching our actions. And if we're proud, if we raise ourselves up, then we can be sure that a day is coming when we will be brought low. You can think of the words of Isaiah 2, verse 12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So if we live like Belshazzar, if we pretend that we will not answer to anyone, then we need to listen up. Because the reality is that a day is coming when we will all face God's justice. And then he will render a verdict of either guilty or innocent. And we'll see that in the second place, the verdict rendered against Belshazzar. After weighing the evidence against Belshazzar, Daniel tells Belshazzar that he has been found wanting. That's the second meaning of the word tekel. Belshazzar has been weighed in the scales of God's justice and he has been found wanting. He is too light. He is guilty as charged. And that's because when God weighs people in the balance, he's not looking for the same things that the world looks for. He's not looking for the most influential, the most wealthy, the most powerful. Those are not the types of characteristics that will satisfy God's justice. For the God that we worship is a holy God. And the things that can satisfy his justice are perfect righteousness, perfect faithfulness, perfect submission, perfect obedience to God's law. And in all of these areas, Belshazzar has failed miserably. In fact, he doesn't even try to live in accordance with God's holy law. He defies God. He spits in the face of God. And yet, if it was simply up to us, then we would be just as unworthy as Belshazzar. We too would be weighed and found wanting. We would be found too light. For by nature, we do not desire to live in accordance with God's law. We don't desire to submit to him. We don't desire to pursue the righteousness that he requires. By nature, we are proud and we shake our fist at God. And so God should give us the punishment that we deserve. Think of Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, that he will also reap. If we continue to live in sin, living for power, living for other people, living for the pleasures of this world, then like Belshazzar, we will be weighed in the scales of God's justice and we will be found wanting. And yet, we don't have to despair this afternoon. For we do have the good news of the gospel. We have the message of Jesus Christ. We have the comfort of knowing that Jesus Christ is willing to step onto the scales on our behalf. He's willing to apply the weight of his righteousness, his goodness, 
his mercy, his perfection, his suffering. He's willing to apply the weight of all those things onto our half of the scale. If it was up to our own strength, we cannot even budge the scales of God's justice. And yet when we rely on Jesus Christ, we are told that God's justice is satisfied immediately. We are declared innocent. And that is the promise of God's grace. If we bow the knee to Jesus Christ, if we submit to him as Lord, then we have the assurance that we will not be found wanting. We will not be found too light. If we rest on God, we will rest secure. And that has always been God's message. If we rely on him, if we call on him, if we are faithful to him, then he will bless us and protect us and surround us with his presence. That's the message that God has always been preaching. It's the message that he preached time and again to the Israelites, and it's the message that he is still preaching to us today. If we rely on God, then he will be gracious to us, and he will not give us the punishment that we deserve. And we'll see that in the last place, the punishment assigned to Belshazzar. It's clear that Belshazzar does not rely on God. So due to his hard heart and his pride, he's weighed in the balance of God's justice. He's found wanting. And now he is sentenced, he is assigned the punishment from the hand of God. And for as Daniel explains the writing that's on the wall, it becomes clear that two of the three words their meaning has to do with the punishment that's assigned to Belshazzar and to Babylon. In the first place, the word many carries these two meanings. Your days are numbered and your kingdom will be brought to an end. But we should recognize this afternoon that the days of Belshazzar and the days of Babylon, they were numbered long before this king ever came to power. Already back at the time of Jerusalem and the attack of Nebuchadnezzar, God made this prophecy about Babylon. Reading from Jeremiah 50, verse 31 and 32. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities and it will devour all that is around him. And I would encourage you today to take some time to read Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51 to fully appreciate the accuracy of God's prophecy against Babylon, how he foreshadowed their destruction and their punishment. For the last word, parson, it clearly spells out the punishment that is coming to Belshazzar and to Babylon. For the last word, parson also has two meanings. The kingdom is divided and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. And this doesn't mean divided in the sense that it's, it's split accurately, but it actually means more specifically dissolved, destroyed, broken. 
the rule of the Babylonian Empire, it will be brought to a complete end. It will be given over to the Medes and the Persians. And though Belshazzar, he had complete confidence in his kingdom, in the city, in his armies, we read that that very night, this prophecy would be fulfilled. For while the king was busy partying and living life, the Medes and the Persians, they had devised a way to enter that mighty city. Miles and miles away, they had dug a massive canal that was able to divert the river Euphrates. And when the time was right, on the night of this particular party, they do, in fact, divert the Euphrates. And so the river runs dry, the moat around the city empties, and the Medes and the Persians, they march right under the walls of Babylon and into the city. And Belshazzar and the citizens of Babylon, they offer no resistance. They are met by complete surprise. And this too happened exactly as the prophet Jeremiah said it would. Reading from Jeremiah 51 verse 39, I will make drunk her officials and her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake. Belshazzar and Babylon, that proud nation, they would never see another day. For God will not be mocked. And God's message to Babylon, his message to, Bel to Belshazzar, they provide us with the assurance of knowing that our God is always a God of justice. God had never forgotten about what Babylon had done to his people Israel. And even though they were living as exiles in the land of Babylon, God had not forgotten his covenant promises. God had been watching as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem, as they raided and pillaged the temple of God. And God would not allow his people and his holy name to be mocked. God would not tolerate this from the Babylonians, and God will still not tolerate it from people today. For people today, they can live life to the fullest. They can ignore the message of the gospel they can raise themselves up as mini-gods and they can place their faith in things like drugs, sex, power, money. They can attack the church. They can kill unborn children in the womb. They can martyr the saints. But rest assured that they will not go unpunished. For this passage today makes clear that God is not ignorant of what is going on. He will protect his people, for God is always watching over the way of the righteous, even when it doesn't always seem that way to us. And the passage makes clear that no one escapes the justice of God. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, they were kings who thought that they would not answer to anyone they had raised themselves up, and yet they too faced God's justice. And likewise today, those who are proud, hard-hearted, blasphemous, idolatrous, they will not escape the punishment of God. And yet by God's grace, 
we have hope. For those who seek God, those who place their trust in him, those who place their entire faith in Jesus Christ, we know that they can approach the throne of God unafraid. They will understand the meaning of words from Romans 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They will be brought before the scales of God's justice and they will not be found wanting. They will not be found too light. For we will have Jesus Christ standing beside us, protecting us, and redeeming us. Amen. We'll respond now with the singing of Psalm 145, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5.